we're just walking through the Christmas season. We've got Christmas trees, Christmas wreaths, Christmas gifts. Let me ask you, especially kids, who loves opening Christmas presents? You guys love opening Christmas presents? What about the adults? Who loves to open Christmas presents, unwrapping those gifts under the tree? I know I love to do that. Um, how about for, just for the, uh, for anybody actually, um, when it comes to technology, right? Like we love our technology. I see a MacBook here. I see an iPad here. You guys all have smartphones. Um, who loves to open up a technology present? Like you've got, you, you get that little box under the tree, you open it up and you see, oh, there's a white box with a little Apple symbol on it. Or maybe you're an Android person and you get excited about that. Maybe some of you, and I think there's one here that may be a Blackberry person. Yeah, getting excited about that. Right, your, your, your heart races as you're opening up that present, kind of your endorphins glow, right? Maybe you're, maybe you're at the Apple store and they're handing you that little white box and it's exciting, right? Unwrapping that thing is exciting. They actually have YouTube channels about unwrapping things. I can't believe that. Yeah, people watching people unwrap presents it's in, and unwrapping technology. It's kind of uh, interesting to say the least. People like salivating over all of the possibilities that this little gadget, this little phone can do. You know, we, we hang on to all the big announcements when it comes to uh, the new iPhone or the new Samsung phone, whatever it may be. Uh, and then we get one of those for ourselves. We open it up and we just marvel um, at all of its wonder and all of its aluminum glass and all of that kind of stuff. And then we turn it on. And, and what do you do when you turn on that technology for the first time? Well, you want to start exploring all of its glorious features, right? Um, and I confess myself, I love to open technology. I love unwrapping it, turning it on, checking things out, and exploring the new options. But it's really kind of silly when you think about it. In the end, it's just a piece of metal and glass. Uh, it's something that is, by the time you have it in your hands, it's already old news when it comes to technology. Um, it's so temporary and fleeting. Well, today, as we're going to look at Colossians, you and I are going to get to unwrap something so much greater, so much more beautiful, so much more powerful, something heavenly, something eternal. So let's start in Colossians Chapter 3, verses 12 to 17. Put on, then, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other. As the Lord has forgiven you, you also must forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for gathering us this morning. We thank you for this extended family up here in Olds. We thank you that John and Beth and the kids are down at Redemption Church Calgary South, and, and we get to connect and, and, to, and to meet people that we have known for a long time and also to meet new faces and, and thank you mostly for, for how you're building your church. 
and how you're advancing your gospel both here in Olds and in Calgary and in Red Deer and then in beyond across the world as well. Um, Lord, we thank you that uh, you gathered us and we thank you for your word. We thank you that it's open before us, that we have the freedom to hear from you and that you by your spirit uh, will uh, impress it upon our hearts and illuminate the text to our souls that we can understand you and that we can also learn you and put on you and, uh, and also uh, do it all for your glory. We pray all this in the name of Christ Jesus. Amen. Well, like I said, today we get to unwrap something far more glorious than any piece of technology could ever promise. Uh, today we get to unwrap a gift from God, uh, a gift that has the most life-altering, powerful options that you could ever imagine. Today we get to turn on and discover a gift from God that has eternal redeeming realities. Uh, today we get to examine uh, the gift of, as the text was showing us, new spiritual hearts, new spiritual hearts. And in opening that gift of, of that spiritual heart, we get to explore four new glorious functions given to us by Jesus Christ. And the first function uh, is this, the function is compassion. And so what I commend to you today is unwrap that heart and discover your new heart of compassion. And that comes from verse 12, where the text says, Paul is writing, he says, put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. Now up to this point in the book of Colossians, uh, Paul has spilled much ink refuting false teaching that is going on uh, in the church, and he's building the case uh, for faith alone in Christ alone. Christ alone is our foundation, uh, as the foundation for the Colossian church, as the foundation for our church, as the foundation for redemption olds. In chapter 2, you learn that this young church in Colossae was being influenced by worldly ideas, by legalism, by an infatuation with, with the spiritual realm even. Uh, there was false teachers who were teaching that Jesus wasn't enough, that you needed to have something more, Jesus plus something more. And so Paul, writing in all of his apostolic authority, he writes to refute these, this false teaching. And he wants to refocus the Colossians' hearts on the supremacy of Christ alone. That the gospel is Jesus plus nothing. And then in chapter 3, Paul begins to instruct the Colossians of, on how they are to apply the gospel to their lives by setting their minds on things that are above and by putting off their old ways. And some of those old ways was the old ways of sexual immorality, of impurity, of evil desire, of idolatry, slander, malice, obscene talk. And, and he was calling that church to put those things off, like, like taking off old clothes, which then brings us to our text today, which is the putting on. That's how the, the text starts off. Put on then. Paul is teaching the Colossian church, these Christians that are God's chosen people, a people he's calling holy and beloved, the chosen ones, to be putting on Jesus Christ. And so as we, as we just think about that for a minute, we think about our Christian lives, this putting off and, and putting on, 
Uh, let's say that you're getting up in the morning and, uh, and you have the choice to put on the old stinky clothes or to put on the clean, brand new clothes. You're going to want to put on those clean clothes. You're going to want to look in that mirror. And then as you look inside that mirror with those new clothes from Jesus Christ, cloaked in his righteousness, you also have to understand that as you're looking at yourself, you're looking at Christ's righteousness, that he is the one who is holy, he is the one who has chose us, and he calls you beloved. Well, where, where does all of this come from? Why is that important? Well, this language Paul is using for the Colossian church is the same language that has been used for Israel throughout the whole Old Testament. When, he's, when Paul's calling the church the chosen ones, the beloved ones, we see this going back to the chosen uh, people of Israel, the Jews. Deuteronomy 7, 6 to 7, he says, or Moses writes, For you are a people holy to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for his treasured possession out of all the peoples who were on the face of the earth. It was not because you were more in number than any other people that the Lord set his love on you and chose you, for you were the fewest of all peoples. And so what we see here in the Old Testament, God choosing the nation of Israel as his holy, chosen, treasured people. And again, notice, it's not because they're lovely, it's not because they're special, uh, it's because the Lord set his love on you and chose you, for you were the fewest of all people. There was nothing great about them. God chose them because they were the fewest of all people. Israel was God's covenant people, the people who God revealed himself to. They were the people of the promise of that coming Savior that we just celebrated here at Christmas. And ever since the Messiah came, ever since he lived and died and rose again, he fulfilled the Old Testament promises. And in his blood, he created the new Israel himself, the church. So now all people, regardless of background, right, all Jews and Gentiles, uh, anybody who comes to Jesus Christ through faith, repentance, and faith is now God's chosen, holy, beloved people. And so as I look out into this church, for those who are here who have truly repented of their sin and trusted in Jesus Christ alone, you are God's chosen, holy, beloved people. And so if you are in Christ, that is who you are, and the New Testament confirms this as well. 1 Peter 2.9, Peter, speaking of the New Testament church, says, But you are a chosen race, 1 Peter 2.9, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you have not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Friends, we have received such mercy and grace in Jesus Christ. And when we are found in him, we are God's chosen, holy, and beloved people. So when you get up in the morning, look in that mirror and remind yourself, maybe you don't feel so chosen. Maybe you don't feel so holy. Maybe you don't feel so loved. But in God's eyes, because of what Christ has done through his righteousness, when he sees you, he sees Jesus. And so when you look in that mirror, I'm chosen, I'm holy, 
I'm beloved because of Jesus Christ. Holy means that we are set apart, that we are distinct from the world. And beloved reminds us that all of this took place because of the great love that God has for his people, right? Christ loves his bride. He loves all of us in his church, in his body, in all of our weakness, and in all of our sin. And he loves you so much that he chose to save you from your sin. And in that choosing and saving, Jesus makes you new. He, he raises you from your spiritual death, and he gives you a new heart. A new heart with new holy desires. And that's the gift we want to explore here this morning, this, this new heart with glorious features. And all of these features are because of Jesus Christ. They are the Christ-like features of compassion, as we're seeing here, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. And Paul calls us here because, because we are chosen, because we are holy and beloved, we get to put on this heart of compassion. It's like putting on brand new clothes. It's like standing in the mirror and seeing the new you, seeing your new heart in all of its heavenly glory. And friends, this should be a billion times more excited, exciting than wrapping any presents especially any of the most promising technology you could ever imagine, uh, seeing the new you with your new heart from Jesus Christ should be a billion times more exciting than any of that. It's because it's heavenly, because it's from eternity, because it's infinite and it's found in Jesus Christ and it's astonishing. So no longer do I have to be a slave to the old man any longer. No longer do I have to be a slave to the old flesh, right, with my, my old hunger as the context of Colossians is saying, the, the old desires of things like sexual immorality or impurity, evil passion, evil desire, covetousness, idolatry, anger, wrath, malice, slander, obscene talk, and lying. Now I get the supernatural ability to engage the world and all eternity with a brand new heart a brand new spiritual heart, to, a, to have a heart that has genuine compassion, genuine kindness, true humility, Christ-like meekness and patience. Friends, all of these, all of these functions, all of these um, glorious functions are included in the package of that heart. You don't pay extra for that. It comes when Jesus purchased that through his blood. And these are ultimately exemplified in Jesus Christ alone. Because this is who he is. This, is. this is your savior. This is your king. He is the one who is preeminent in all of these things, right? Just think about that. He is preeminent in compassion. He is supreme in kindness. He is the one who is first in humility. He is number one in meekness. And Christ is entirely patient with us. And so as we think about these features that we receive in that new heart, remember Christ is preeminent in all of those things and we get to take advantage of that. So I want to just take a quick look at some of these features. The first one is compassion. Compassionate heart comes from the Greek word splancha oiktirmu. 
Um, the, the root of this phrase is literally translated bowels of mercy, which to us may seem a little bit weird uh, to, to call compassion, compassion bowels of mercy. But back in those times in the Jewish culture, it was believed that the bowels, that the intestinal area um, was where people believed that their emotions were, were centered. That's where your, your center of being was. And that's especially the place where love and compassion would take place. Now, although we think a little bit differently about that, we, wouldn't, we don't say um, to somebody, um, my, my bowels are full of mercy for you. We don't say that today, right? Um, we would say, I'm compassionate. I love you, that kind of thing. Um, but that's what, in, in, their, in their understanding of compassion, it was everything within them in, the, in their innermost center of being. And, and so that's one of the functions of the heart, that you have this, this deep inner compassion that would even move you, uh, move as, as uh, Paul would say here in, in this understanding, this, this bowels of mercy. So kind of strange, but I think we get the point. Um, we, we would translate this in, in other versions. I think in the New Living Translation would call this tender-hearted mercy. Um, heartfelt compassion, genuine concern, and mercy towards others. So this means right now, friends, that that in Christ, my heart, my new heart in Christ is less focused on my own needs, but it is full of mercy towards somebody else. That's one of the options that we get. Maybe, maybe, maybe that's something that's not really natural to you. You don't naturally have a lot of overflowing mercy uh, towards somebody in your natural self, but in Jesus Christ, as you unwrap that heart, you have Tons of compassion, access to that, those bowels of mercy towards somebody else. You also get kindness from the word krestoteta, meaning being full of grace and the goodness of God. And so this option really reveals that, that I no longer have to be harsh anymore, that, that I actually have access to God's gracious goodness towards others. Like Christ's very own kindness in Ephesians 2.7, where it says, So that in the coming ages he might show his immeasurable riches of grace in kindness towards us in Jesus Christ. And so one of the options of this new heart is kindness. You also get humility. Uh, what's interesting about humility in the ancient world is that it really wasn't celebrated as, in Roman society as a positive attribute. In fact, humility in the Greco-Roman era was, was often regarded as, as being cowardice. Um, in, that, in that time, in the, in the Roman Empire, what was celebrated was pomp and pride. That's what was highest. So to, so to be humble wasn't really a celebrated attribute uh, within the, the human uh, race at that time. But Christianity, friends, came along in, in the blood of Jesus Christ and turned this on its head. We see that in, in Philippians 2.8. I preached this uh, just the other day. How Christ himself humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. That is the ultimate picture of hum humility. Right? God coming from the highest throne, coming down as Jesus Christ, 
lowering himself to be born in a manger, right? And even the text talks about him being born a slave for men and then being nailed to a cross for our sins, the most humiliating death at that time. Christ did that for us, and as he did that for us, we have the mind of Christ, as Philippians would teach us, and we have access to that same humility as well. Friends, the Christian life is a life of humility, Humility that is not uh, uh, enabled by our own power, by our own strength, but has been exampled and empowered by Jesus Christ himself and what he did for us. We also see gentleness coming in here, which is closely tied to humility. Uh, The Greek lexicon defines this Greek word, proteta, as the quality of not being overly impressed by the sense of one's importance. Again, this is an attribute given to us in Jesus Christ. When you think about that, we live in an age where that is kind of a promoted attribute amongst people today uh, by by being impressed by by your own self. But in Christ, um, it's a quality that we are not to be impressed of our own importance. Matthew 11, 29, where Jesus says, take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For why? For I am gentle and lowly in heart. And then we also see patience in here. Uh, Anybody here impatient? Yeah, a few of us. I'm a pretty impatient person, I'll tell you. Um, Charles Spurgeon says this about patience. He says, patience is a grace as difficult as it is necessary and as hard to come by as it is precious when it is gained. Patience, patience, you're always in a hurry. But God is not. So we have access to true patience in Jesus Christ. And we can even look at the patience of God with his people as they would turn away from him throughout all of their history and then even in our own lives as we are prone to wander as we were singing, right? God is patient towards us in that. 1 Timothy 1, 15 to 16, the saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the foremost. But I received mercy for this reason, that in me as the foremost, Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience as an example to those who were to believe in him for eternal life. So friends, we've got a whole list of functions available in this new heart that we get in the new birth. This new heart that was given to us in our salvation. And friends, what we have received is the heart of Christ. And so the call to each one of us is to to unwrap that heart, to put that heart on, to discover all of these new eternal godly features that we have, right? This compassion and kindness and humility and meekness and patience, you know, as, we, as we're walking through COVID-19, just think about that. If, if we could be ruling by this heart, this compassion, this kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, right? When we have conversations with each other, with the world, or online, we know how that can spark up a lot of battles. We have those functions with that new heart. But the problem, friends, is that we don't unwrap that new heart. 
And so the, the commendation from, from, from me and from the scriptures, from, from the Lord here, is to open that up. We see that. Put on then at the very start. That's a command. Open it up. Put it on right away. Don't leave it on the shelf. Don't leave it under the tree. I mean, have you ever given somebody a gift and they just take forever to open it up? Like maybe you handed them the gift at about 7.30 yesterday morning and now it's noon and they still haven't opened up that gift. That drives me crazy. When I give somebody a gift, I'm excited to see what uh, the reaction and how they're going to receive that. Or how about this? Have you ever gone shopping with somebody and say you buy them a new shirt or a new dress and they just go and hang it in the closet and they never put that thing on. They never wear it. This drives me crazy as well. As a kid, I remember every time that I got a, a new shirt or a new sweater, I could barely get it out of the bag or out of the wrapping fast enough. I'm going to put that shirt on. I wanted to, I wanted to try it on. In fact, I, re- I actually remember uh, trying things on in the store and then just leaving them on and paying for them and walking out of the store. I couldn't wait to wear something new. Friends, what Paul is showing us here in such a greater way is that we have been given this amazing gift of this new heart. No longer, friends, do we have a heart of stone. No longer are our hearts bent on just pleasing ourselves. We get the incredible privilege as Christians of having new hearts with new features and new attitudes. We get unprecedented access to the heart of Christ. And in that, we can genuinely model the love of Christ to the world around us. And so let me ask you, have you unwrapped that heart? Have you unwrapped that heart in repentance and faith? Have you put it on? And have you checked out all of the features of that heart? Or are the old features of pride and idolatry and lust and sin still at play? Friends, the truth is is that if we are in Jesus Christ, we get to put off the old heart, we get to put off the old man, and we get to put on the new man. We get to put on those new spiritual clothes. We get to put on the new heart of compassion. It is yours in Jesus Christ. When we put on compassion, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, We also get access to one of the greatest attributes of all, and that's the attribute of forgiveness. So just think about unwrapping that new heart, that heart of compassion, and just think about this next. So you've got this heart unwrapped, and you're putting this thing on, but like like, like a new piece of technology, you've got to power that thing up, right? You've got to push the power button on. And so that's that's the next point of, of the sermon here, is that we need to switch it on. We need to unleash the reconciling power of whole heart forgiveness because that's what the heart of Christ loves to do. The heart of Christ loves to forgive. And so friends, switch it on. Unleash the reconciling power of whole heart forgiveness. Paul says in verse 13 that we are to be bearing with one another and if anybody has a complaint against one another, we are to be doing what? We are to be forgiving each other. As the Lord has forgiven you, you must also forgive. 
Friends, the true fruit of, of a heart full of compassion is a heart full of forgiveness. This new heart that Christians inherit from Jesus is a heart that is no longer satisfied with quarreling, with division, with broken relationships, um, but it is one that seeks humility and unity and bearing with one another. There's no doubt that the Colossian church was made up of all kinds of different people, Jews, Gentiles. Uh, it was a major trade uh, route center. You would have had people from all over the world living there, and then as they're coming to faith, they would have been all coming together as the church of Jesus Christ. There would have been all kinds of transient people wandering through this city. There would have been people coming with pagan roots, people with all kinds of different preferences, right? And, and personalities and priorities in their life. Friends, where there's people, there will be problems, right? I've often heard it said that the problem with the church is that it's full of people. Do you agree? You and I come to church. We come into the church, into the body of Christ with different upbringings, different testimonies, different affiliations, different preferences, different choices, and different personalities. Friends, the church at times can be a little bit messy. People's feelings may get hurt. They may have certain expectations of their leadership. They may, they may see a certain idea of the Bible much differently than the next person would. And in that, if they're not careful, relationships can get strained, right? People can quarrel. We see that throughout the scriptures, throughout these, these new churches, right? They were very young churches, but there was quarreling going on. And in that, people can also quarrel, and, and it could put a lot of strain on the unity of the church. And, and sometimes people come, and sometimes people go. Friends, one of the secrets to true unity is found right here in this text. And it's, founding, and it's found in the truth of bearing with one another. Or, it just simply means to put up with one another. The sense of, of enduring something unpleasant or difficult. How many of you here think that, that people can be difficult at times? I can be difficult at times. Um, is there a possibility that all of us can be difficult at times? I think so, yeah. Friends, the secret to moving forward with all of our many differences, and this year with COVID-19, that's really just highlighted that all the more, right? The secret of moving forward with all of our differences is to bear with one another, to overlook differences for what? For the sake of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because the truth is, friends, we in the church, even though we are Christians and we have new hearts, we're still prone to hurting one another. Uh, when we planted our church, one of the things from day one in our core group, what I said is um, that we need to be prepared that we're going to hurt one another. Somebody's going to say something is going to offend somebody. Somebody's going to have a preference that's maybe not your preference. Maybe they're uh, pushing it upon you as this is what you need to understand or believe. But the truth is, is we will hurt one another. That although we are united in Christ, friends, we're still sinners, Right? We still deal with sin. We still want to go our own ways at times. We still want to, we're still prone to wander as we're singing. And we're going to sin against each other. 
And so Paul says we need to be ready and prepared to live a life of bearing with one another and ultimately forgiving one another. He says if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other. How? As the Lord has forgiven you, you must also forgive. Friends, the Christian life with this, this, new, this new heart that we have is a life of ongoing forgiveness. Why? Because we have been forgiven so much. We have been forgiven uh, an eternal, massive sin against God. And so we forgive as Christ forgives. And so as we uh, look at each other in, in, in the church here in Olds, and, and I'm sure along the way and, and, and in days to come, you guys are going to hurt one another, but be prepared to forgive. Be prepared to bear with one another. Uh, forgiveness in this context here uh, translates from the Greek word charizomai. It, it conveys the idea that forgiving others is an act of grace. An act of grace that is freely offered and often not deserved. Friends, one of the things I've learned over my years throughout the church is that the church is not perfect. Right? We're not in heaven yet. Church is not easy at times. Just because we're Christians, it doesn't mean that everything's going to go smoothly. Right? People, people will assume things. People are going to accuse things. People are going to expect things. People don't communicate well. Right? If we have a problem and we're sinned against or, or, we're, or we just think that we're sinned against, we often fail at following the biblical process of, of reconciliation. We often run to the sins of the mouth or gossip. So what do we need to do? Well, the first thing we've got to do is expect that it's not going to be perfect this side of heaven. Expect that we will all fall short to some degree and that we need to expect and anticipate that we're going to have to forgive one another. So as you guys look around this room and you see each other's faces and, and even those who maybe aren't here this morning, as you see the faces of your, your brothers and sisters in Christ, just, just prepare your heart. I may have to forgive that person one day. They, they may hurt me one day, but I want to be like Christ, ready and willing to forgive anything that comes my way. And you have access to that in that new heart. So we anticipate that. If somebody has a grievance against somebody else, let's not be satisfied with pointing fingers or, or being satisfied with relational breakdown. Be a people who are ready and willing to forgive. Because why? Because we have been forgiven sins that are worthy of eternal damnation. You know, our God is a forgiving God. Therefore, his people are to be people of forgiveness. You could say it this way. For, forgiven Christians forgive as Christ forgave them. And when we think about that, we think about the cross of Jesus Christ. We think about the blood that was poured out. All the blood that was poured out of Christ's veins. Friends, the, the average human body only holds about five and a half liters of blood. That's basically like a jug and a half of milk, right? It's a relatively small amount when you think about it, but the amount of blood that was poured out of Jesus Christ was enough to forgive every sin of every repentant sinner from the beginning of time to the end of time. 
That blood of forgiveness found in Jesus Christ is so full and so free. And Paul calls each one of us in this church to forgive like that. To forgive like Jesus. To humbly, sacrificially, and fully forgive one another. So we must also forgive, he says. And so let me ask you this morning, in your church, in your family, in your life, are you a forgiver? Are you a quick forgiver? Or are you a person who is easily hurt and runs to bitterness? For example, if you're married, you're, think about your spouse, and maybe your spouse sins against you. Uh, let's say that it's a sin that just truly hurts you. But your spouse ends up seeing their sin, and they see how much they hurt you, and they come to you seeking your forgiveness. Now, in that moment, do you act like judge, jury, and executioner? Or are you a person who quickly runs to forgive your spouse? So we see how this applies to marriage. Um, when we think about how much we have been forgiven, when our spouse comes to us seeking for forgiveness, our standard is not our own fleshly um, desire for forgiveness, but the standard of Christ on the cross for forgiveness. Just think about all the sins that you've committed in your life against one another, against God. Now remember that just one of those sins is worthy of eternal death. Just one. And now take that justice and then you multiply it for every sin you have ever committed and then, friends, be in awe of how the Lord so lavishly, so mercifully poured his grace upon you in forgiveness for every one of those sins, past, present, and future. The way that Christ forgives is that he removes your sin as far as the east is from the west, right? As the Lord has forgiven you, so you must also forgive. Now, on a bit of a side note, to add clarity, let me ask you this. Does, does forgiveness mean that you, you overlook everything? Does forgiveness mean that you, you never confront ongoing unrepentant sin? Does forgiveness mean we don't confront sin in each other's lives? Let me also ask you this. Does, does forgiveness require repentance? If we are to forgive as the Lord forgives, meaning not just the what, but the how, let me ask you, when it comes to salvation in the Lord, does, does the Lord just simply forgive every person on the planet? No. Does the Lord just choose to simply overlook all the sin of the world and just forgives everybody? No, he doesn't. Friends, if we are to forgive as the Lord forgives, repentance and godly sorrow has to be at the center. Right? This, this doesn't mean that we have a license to be bitter. That doesn't, it doesn't mean that we are justified in hardening our heart towards somebody. No, we are to remember how much we are forgiven 
And we choose in that forgiveness to have hearts that are full and ready and willing to forgive. And when the other party repents, we forgive them fully. We forgive them with a whole heart, just as Christ forgives, removing the sin as far as the east is from the west, not choosing to hold that sin against that person any longer. That that person in their repentance is no longer guilty in our eyes. That's how God forgives Therefore, that's how we are to forgive. One commentator says, By forgiving, we do become Christ to others. By bearing in our bodies the weight of unjust accusation, undeserved pain, and unretaliated harm, we are the Holy Spirit's message of Jesus to others. By the practice of forgiveness, we have the privilege of being a living witness to the one we love, we most love and who has loved us eternally and sacrificially. We ultimately forgive for the Lord. So friends, the Christian life with that new heart is a life of ongoing confession, repentance, forgiveness, and reconciliation for one another. Forgiveness for the sake of Christ's name. And so friends, when you put those new clothes on that you have access to in Jesus Christ, when you put on his new heart, friends, we need to also switch that heart on and unleash that reconciling power of whole heart forgiveness. When we forgive, friends, in our church, in our families, in our lives, it leads to harmony, it leads to peace, it leads to unity. And so as you've unwrapped that new heart and you've switched on that new heart, the next thing you need to do with that new heart is to set it up. You need to set it up, which means... You need to govern your heart with harmonious love. Verse 14, Paul says, And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And then verse 15 says, Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. Paul says, Above all these, do what? Put on love. Now the idea in the original text here, it sticks to that concept of putting on new clothes analogy. It says, above all these, uh, which means to, to, to put on a covering or to put on an overcoat, to put on an overarching rule over all things, which Paul says is the virtue of love. And so when we think of compassion and kindness, humility and meekness and patience, and forgiveness, you need to think of love as the binding agent that glues it all together, that brings it all together, that governs the whole system, the whole protocol of how that heart functions, the, the law that causes all of these things to work together in harmony. John MacArthur says, love is the most important moral quality in the believer's life. For it is the very glue that produces unity in the church. Believers will never enjoy mutual fellowship through compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, or patience. They will not bear with each other or forgive each other unless they love one another. So let me ask you, how well are you doing with loving one another? Friends, we have a statement in our doctrine, uh, in our uh, redemption and GCC churches, uh, and we put it before our doctrinal statement, 
And it says, on the major's conviction, on the minor's tolerance, but in all things love. Love is the agent that produces unity within the church. Jesus said, by this all people will know that you are my disciples if you have what? If you have love for one another. Friends, it's the glue. And it's also the evidence. Why? Why is love so powerful to unite people who are so different from each other and who can so easily hurt one another? Because it's the love that is found only in Jesus Christ. First Corinthians 13.8. We often hear this read at, at, at weddings, right? But this needs to be read as this is what love is. This is who Jesus is. First Corinthians 13.8. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends in Jesus Christ. And now that we have his heart for ourselves, we have these same qualities, these same features as well. These things, friends, are preloaded in that new heart of yours. It is the operating system of that heart. It is the, the supernatural byproduct. Supernatural love, which brings supernatural unity. And it's this love that Paul says binds everything together, glues everything together in perfect harmony. This is the kind of love that brings peace. We let the peace of Christ, right, rule in our hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, that's unity, and to be thankful. Friends, in, in love, we are called into the body of Jesus Christ. In love, we have been saved to the church. In love, we are unified and at peace with God and at peace with one another. This is, how, this is God's plan from the very beginning. Because what he's doing is he's preparing a bride, right? Jesus is the bridegroom. We are the bride. He's preparing a loving bride. And he's preparing a unified bride. And that bride is brought together in unity, glued together by love. And so we need to let love do its work, the supernatural love. Love covers all things and allows our hearts to be governed by the peace that only comes from Jesus Christ. If you've ever struggled with a strained relationship or strife with, say, a brother or a sister, if you're maybe in the middle of a battle in your marriage right now, If you have constant struggle with coworkers or bosses, whatever, whatever relational problems you can think of that you may be going through, the first thing you need to do is to stop and take a look at your heart. Ask yourself, what's my heart doing in this situation? Ask yourself, am I letting the peace of Christ rule, govern in my heart? Or am I running to my old ways of operation? Am I engaging my new heart that's been given to me by Christ? Or am I trying to resurrect that cold, dead, evil heart that I was born with? Ask yourself as well, 
when you do some examination of your heart, is my heart turning and churning? Is it boiling in anger? Is it full of wrath and malice? Is anger and pride and quarreling uh, happening already within my heart? Or is the love and the peace of Christ ruling my heart? Your answer to relational conflict in your life, and especially in the church, friends, is to get out of your own way, right? Your answer is, is not to always want to win. It's not always to get your own way. It's not to get your vengeance. Your only hope of peace and unity is to let love rule. And so we put on that new heart in the power of the Holy Spirit, informed by God's word. We set up that new heart, right? Setting up that operating system of harmonious love, letting that rule. And the next thing we need to do is to charge up that heart. So you unwrap it, you install it, you turn it on, you set it up, and then the last thing you do is you charge it up. Fuel your heart with word-driven worship. Verse 16, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. As you think over this, this last week or, or month or two in your life, and especially throughout this season of the pandemic, what role has the word of Christ, scripture, that Bible that's in your hands, what role has it played in your life? Has it been a vibrant, overwhelming, abundantly joyful foundation for your soul? Has the word of God been dwelling richly within you, which means to take up residence within you? This rich, abundant, extravagant word of God, has it been taking up residence in your heart throughout this past year? As great as it is to ask ourselves, these questions personally, the context here in Colossians is the church. Paul wants to show the Colossian church, and he wants to show us that our only hope of putting uh, on Christ and remaining in him is to let the very word of God be at the center of all that we do as a church. And not only that, he also gives us some really practical advice about how we are to do this. And we did it already here this morning. How we are to keep that fire burning, that unity of love flowing out from us and within each other in the church. We are to take God's word and let it dwell richly in our heart as a church, meaning we must teach God's word, we must apply God's word. And what I love that he shows here is we must sing God's word. God's word has to be at the center because it's God's word. He wrote a book to us. He's revealed Jesus to us. It is our standard. And if anything doesn't line up with God's word, we got to toss it out, right? God's word is our rule in practice. God's word has to be at the center. And if it's not, we're merely just spinning our wheels as a church. We're just seeking our own desires. And we could err on the side of just making it up as we go. Friends, there's a church in Calgary called the Calgary Secular Church. It's a gathering of people who choose to relate to each other 
based on just human thinking and philosophy. They meet on Sunday mornings, they hold a service where they sing songs, where they share stories, where they have fellowship, they have potlucks, but they do not believe in Jesus Christ. And then they do not behold the Bible as the word of God. Friends, to be a true church, the Bible has to be at the center. And even though most, or not most, many churches are moving away from God's word, friends, you as Redemption Church Olds needs to be running that much faster, that much harder towards God's word. The reason many churches are running away from the word is because the world doesn't want God's word. Many churches are trying to attract the world by minimizing God's word. Within our churches, though, we believe in maximizing God's word. And so we seek to do this in everything that we do. Whatever we do as a church, and I know that's your aim as well as a church, is to do everything according to God's word, to teach it, to apply it, to sing it. Teaching God's word, I mean, that's what I'm doing right now. We also... We also do that, and I know you guys do that in small groups as well, and in kids' ministry, and in youth ministry, women's ministry, men's ministry. You want God's word to be at the center. Uh, You guys know one of the distinctives of of Redemption Church is is to believe in bold preaching. That's having God's word at the center. We also want to admonish or apply God's word, right? We see that in Scripture, admonishing one another with all wisdom, right? Seeking not only to be hearers of God's word, but doers of God's word, applying it to our hearts. We don't we don't want full heads and empty hearts. We, we desire for God's word to change us, to be changing our character. And then we also sing God's word. Josh and, and the team here under the elders' oversight work really hard to make sure that you're singing God's word, that you're singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Uh, many of the songs that you sing are going to come directly from Scripture, from the, from the psalms, from from your children's ministry, I assume it's downstairs, as they would sing scripture, as they would also sing spiritual songs. They are songs that, that are put together with the focus of what does God's word say and how are we going to sing that back to him. Now I mentioned that this is what you guys are doing, this is what we desire to do as a church as well, while we also acknowledge that we don't do that perfectly. But our aim as a church All churches' aim should be to let God's word dwell richly within us in all that we do. That should be the goal. We want the Lord to receive our best, and our best will only be best if it's rooted in the word of God. And our best needs to be thankful. As Paul closes out here, he says, Do all of this with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, in word or deed, Do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Friends, our our worship of the Lord ought to be out of extreme, eternal gratitude for what he has done for us. Remember, it's not anything that, that we are doing to receive anything, but it's all for the matchless name of King Jesus. The reason that we live, the reason that we live, the reason that we worship and come together as as a people is because of the person of Jesus Christ. It's because of the one who is exalted over all. He is the one that is worthy of all of our praise. He is the one who ought to receive all the glory for all that we do. Habakkuk 2.14 says, 
For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Friends, Christ is coming back. And he's coming back soon. And so we ask ourselves, are we living for him and doing everything for him, being thankful for him? Whatever we're doing, in word or deed, doing everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. The Christian life is about putting off that old man, putting on the new man, putting on that new heart, unwrapping that new heart, right? Discovering your new holy compassions, switching on that new heart, unleashing the reconciling power of forgiveness, setting up that new heart, governing it with harmonious love and peace for one another, and then constantly charging it up, fueling your heart with the word at the center with worship. These all come from Christ. These all have been given to you in him. As we think of Christ in the manger, as we think of the gifts of Christmas, the greatest gift we have is his, and we receive that new heart, and we get to put it on, and we get to walk as Christians in and with that new heart. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this time of year, first, just that we get to celebrate the incarnation of Christ. We get to celebrate you coming down, putting on flesh, clothing yourself in flesh so that you would one day clothe us in your righteousness. Lord, as we think about this, this, this topic of this new heart that you have given us, it's kind of hard to really comprehend, but it's a spiritual heart. Uh, we know in, in Ezekiel, you, you, you prophesied that you would come and you would take out the, the heart of stone and you would give us a heart of flesh, a heart that can believe, a heart that can have compassion and love and forgiveness for one another. Lord, we pray as, as redemption olds and as redemption south, as these churches walk into the next year, walk into the unknown of, of 2021, even with, even with COVID still uh, in the news and still at work, and how it affects us even in our church and at worship, we pray that we would rule our hearts based on your operating system. And the operating system is love and how that love brings unity within and that you through that unity would receive all the glory. And that would you can continue to change us into the image of your son. And we pray this in Christ's name, amen.